0: This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit
1: Last Monday, there was um, a Thanksgiving service at Westminster Abbey to mark the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Britain, the battle in which the German Luftwaffe attempted to, to gain superiority in the air uh, before launching a sea attack against uh, this country. But um, fortunately, they were repelled by the spitfires and hurricanes of the, uh, the RAF. And as they fought overhead... Many of the Londoners um, underneath would have taken shelter in air raids and, uh, and underground um, stations. I don't know if you're a Doctor Who fan, but I remember an episode a few years ago where the Doctor went back in time, as he, as he does, um, and arrived in London during uh, the Blitz. I wonder if that was you, if you'd gone back in time and arrived in that place at that time. What would you have said to those people who are taking cover from bombs dropping from the skies? wouldn't be something along the lines of, well, don't worry, keep going. You will succeed. It looks pretty grim at the moment, but um, you will win this war. The title of um, our sermon this morning is A Battle is Raging. Um, that battle is the, the inner battle that takes place in the life of every Christian. A battle in which sin tries to keep hold of us and not let us go. And as we shall see this morning, that is a, that is a normal thing. Um, it's not something we should allow to undermine our faith. Not something which should make us question whether we are really saved. Because even the great apostle Paul himself describes in this passage with great honesty his own inner struggles. And it's not something we should worry about. Because although it means that life may be hard... We have the Holy Spirit; He's fighting on our behalf, and the war has already been won. we say so far just to recap briefly in this series in Romans, we've looked at the uh, the problem problem for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as we've seen before. Everyone is guilty of rejecting God and His glory as the supreme value in our lives, and therefore we deserve. His just punishment. We've seen the solution. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For those who believe that Jesus came to save them, they've been declared innocent of all charges against them. They've been released from slavery to sin. They've been made right with God. And we've looked at the blessings as well that come from that. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In short, the blessings of peace with God and hope. Well, this morning we come on to the present reality. Um, What is it like to live the Christian life We're going to be covering a lot of ground, um, three chapters. um, So we can't get into um, too much detail through chapter 6 to 8. But um, the advantage is we'll see the whole flow of this part of the letter. The first thing we want to look at um, is the fact in chapter 6, if you want to turn to that page, we are called to a new life. We are called to a new life. The question that um, Paul, at the start of chapter 6, Um, puts, is if we are saved by God's grace, his undeserving love for us, and if he forgives us for all sins, past, present, and future, why not just carry on sinning so we can experience more of his grace? That's a bit like saying if a surgeon is good at his work, let's give him more opportunity to operate by going out and injuring ourselves. It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? And Paul's response is very direct. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. By no means, of course not. Why not? Well, Paul's answer is expressed as a a logical impossibility here. We died to sin, he says. How can we live in it any longer? We've had a close shave. We've seen how awful it is. Why would we want to go back to that way of life? That way of life is now over. And the finality of this image of of death and burial makes that very clear. Have a look at verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The old life of rebellion against God has died, is finished. The new life in which you serve God instead of yourself has started. A new spiritual person has been raised from the dead, which is what baptism symbolizes. Death to the old sinful life and rising to new life in Jesus Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But being a new creation doesn't mean that in this earthly life you will not have doubts, you will not have setbacks at different times. It's not that as a Christian we are somehow no longer tempted to sin. Of course we are. The difference is that we don't want to sin because we know that sin is offensive to God. Before we became Christians, we had some knowledge of what is good, what is right, and what is wrong, what is bad. But we didn't see it in terms of offense against God. But now we understand just how awful sin is to our holy God. We do all we can to avoid it. We now serve a new master. And that point is made in verse 14 where it says, Look, sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what it means to be redeemed, to be um, released by payment of a price. Uh, and Christians are those who believe that they've been released from slavery to sin by a payment. And the payment was the life of Christ. He died to set us free. So now we have a new life in which we follow a new master. Now the difference is that this, master, this new master is someone we want to follow not someone we are obliged or forced to follow. If you um, request citizenship of a new country, I don't know how many of you have done that here, um, but you're often made to uh, make a pledge of allegiance. Different countries have different pledges. I think probably one of the most strongest pledges of allegiance is that of the United States. This is um, the words that um, they use in their pledge. It says, I hear by declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. And going forward, that I will support and defend the constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. To follow Jesus is to willingly make a pledge of allegiance. An allegiance which comes from the fact that uh, your heart has been transformed to see the truth of Jesus, who he is, that actually he is the only one worth following, the only one worth giving your allegiance to. Look what it says in verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. But there's still a problem, isn't there? There's still a problem. And the problem is that although we're called to a new life, the old life won't let go. If we're Christians here this morning, we know we've been freed from from the guilt, the penalty of sin. We know we want to please God. And yet our sinful nature is constantly telling us to please ourselves. And Paul describes this battle with great honesty if we move on to chapter 7. And he says in verse 15 over the page, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Now for someone of Paul's stature to make such a confession is quite remarkable isn't it he's honest about the tension that he experiences between his intentions and his actions between what he knows in his mind is the right thing to do and what he ends up doing because of the weakness of his will now that could be a huge cause for despair I might as well just give up I'm never going to be able to master sin but that's not the line Paul goes down Because by acknowledging the tension, he's saying he realizes actually what the right way is. And he realizes the ongoing presence of sin within him. It's like um, uh, an alcoholic who's gone through through rehab. They know how much alcohol destroyed their life. They don't want to go back there. But they also know it still has an influence over them. Uh, It doesn't want to let them go. And they're very aware of that and realistic about the risk. Paul has turned his back on the old way of life. He has a new life, but he knows that it still has an influence over him. Look at verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. What Paul is not trying to do here is use that sin as an excuse. He's not saying, um, I, I'm just going to have a good old gossip or I'm going to go out and get blotto um, and then say, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Well, that was the sin. It's not my fault. That was the sin working in me. No, he's genuinely remorseful. He loves to do what is pleasing to God and he hates it when he fails. And look at verse 22. This is a key verse. It says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. It's the inner being of a Christian that has been regenerated by the Spirit, that has been set free from sin, that has been given a delight in God, a desire to, to please God. And before we come on to the, the great relief in chapter 8, there's a couple of applications to draw from this. And the first of those is this is a comfort for the disheartened, a comfort for the disheartened. If you're a young Christian, or maybe someone who's been a Christian for many years, and you know exactly what Paul is describing here, and it just made you quite discouraged in your faith, makes you feel like giving up, well, I think the encouragement is here don't, because it doesn't mean that you failed as a Christian. If you've put your trust in Jesus and in your inner being, you delight in God and in his, his instructions, you want to follow him. But you're struggling with doing what you know to be right. Well, take heart, because what it shows is that the Spirit is at work in your life. He's revealing to you what is sin still uh, sin that is still there. That experience is normal for a Christian. You're no less worthy than any other Christian, and in many ways it'll be more worrying if uh, if you don't feel like that. Which brings me on to the uh, the next application, which is a challenge for the proud. A challenge. For the proud. Because you may have been sitting here wondering, what's all the fuss about? You know, I I don't experience this struggle. Um, For me, the Christian life is just very straightforward. Well, actually, there, you're in a more dangerous position. Because if you think you're okay, that probably means you're blind to the sin that is still within you. And if that is you, then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that sin that's there. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. See what Jesus says about how we should behave in terms of um, loving our enemies. How we should be forgiving. How we should be generous. How we should be honest. How we should be lacking any sense of coveting or envy. Or maybe you are aware of your sin. And this struggle that Paul describes here is one you can identify with, but um, you would never admit that to anyone. What would they think of you? After all, they would probably lose their respect for you. You're happy to talk about um, health problems, maybe things that have happen to you, but, um, but not your spiritual problems. But let's ask ourselves, what is it we think to gain from pretending that everything is okay? Many of you, I know, are in, in prayer triplets. If you're not, I would encourage you to, to try and find a couple of guys uh, or girls um, who you can team up with. <clears throat> It's one of the positive things about that is there are a couple of people you can just trust with everything. You can admit your failings, your weaknesses, you can get them to pray for you. And, uh, and you can see that actually you're not the only ones experiencing the struggles that you may be going through. It's as you are honest about your struggles, as others pray for you, that you'll know the spirit of work in your life. And you'll see him helping you overcome those things. Which brings us into chapter eight, where we have the great reassurance that the Spirit will help us in the battle. The Spirit will help us in the battle. We're told in chapter sixteen of Romans that um, Paul didn't actually write this letter physically himself; he dictated it. Dictated it to um, a guy called Tertius, and um, it may present a picture in our mind of of Paul dictating, maybe pacing up and down in chapter 7, getting more and more frustrated as he um, expresses to to Tertius the battle that is raging within him. And he gets to the point at the end of uh, chapter 7 where he says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And the answer comes... Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we go into chapter 8, we receive this reassurance. Beginning of chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit is reminding Paul, Paul is reminding his readers, he's reminding us, all of what he's been talking about in those first few chapters. Back in chapter 3, we were told that if we put our trust in Jesus' death, On the cross, on our behalf, we have been justified. We have been declared innocent by God. That penalty we deserve has been paid for us. And so the first thing the Spirit does is remind us of our freedom in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the guilt, the penalty of sin if we are in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that it is impossible to try and save ourselves by trying to, to live a good life, by trying to keep the law. But we don't need to because God has done that for us. In verse 3 For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and the likeness of man to be a sin offering. God has done it. He's done it for us. And so if we go back to the cross, if we keep going back and reminding ourselves what Jesus has done for us, that will help us avoid the temptation to think that um, we need to try and do it in our own strength. We are freed by the Spirit. But what does that look like? How is life in the spirit, different. Well, the next thing the spirit does is he sets our minds on what pleases God. We said earlier, if we've become Christians, we have a new life, we have a new master. But how do we know how to please that new master? Well, that is the work of the spirit. Have a look at verse five. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set and what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. So the Spirit is our guide. He will help us avoid things that take us away from God. He will allow things to happen that bring us closer to God. One of those things uh, being suffering that we looked at last week. It's mentioned here again in this, uh, this chapter. The Spirit works with our conscience to tell us what is pleasing to God, what is not pleasing to God. And part of the way in which he does that is to recall for us the teaching of God's word. It's there that we find what pleases him. It's there that we see how Jesus lived his life when he was on earth. The Spirit tells us to think, to desire, to do what Jesus would think and desire and do. Because the aim of the Spirit is to make us like Jesus. When it says in verse 28 of chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is meant there by good may not be our definition of good, it may not be something that is particularly pleasant, but it's good. Because it helps us to become like Jesus. Because it carries on in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The spirit guides. He directs. He tells us when we're off course. But ultimately it's up to us to walk in step with the spirit. Which brings us on to our next point. Which is that the spirit helps us to put sin to death. We said earlier it's important to to ask the Spirit to make us aware of sin in our lives, but not just to make us feel guilty about it, to feel discouraged about it, but so that he can help us put it to death. Verse 13 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. We're told to do it. We're told to do it by the Spirit, by relying on the power of the Spirit within us. I wonder sometimes if we have quite a relaxed attitude towards some sin. Very good at uh, maybe justifying our sinful behavior, when deep down we know actually that it's wrong. But we can't just take it easy and hope it will just go away, that those attitudes, those behavior styles will, will just disappear. It's a bit like having a mouse in the house, if you've ever had one of those. We had them earlier this year. He's hope one day maybe we'll get bored and go and find another house to go and and visit. Of course he won't, will it? He'll just get more and more cozy and comfortable in that house. He'll invite his friends around to come and play, tell them where all the food supplies are. Then they'll have children. Sin will be comfortable we'll find if it's not dealt with it will find a comfortable place to rest we have to put it to death it's an active work our ultimate aim is to be like christ and in order to be like him we have to rid ourselves of sin and we can only do that with the spirit's power but we have to make a conscious effort to cooperate with him or well, finally the spirit assures us that we are loved by the father as he said earlier, one of the devil's tactics is to sow seeds of doubt, saying if you're struggling with sin, where well, you can't be a real Christian. You should be fearing God's judgment, which is why the Spirit reassures us of God's love because as we're told in 1 John 4, perfect love drives out fear. The Spirit reassures us of God's love. He does that by reminding us that we are his children. Have a look at verse 14. We cry out in the heat of battle for help from the Spirit to to reassure us that despite all our failings, we are still children of God. That God still loves us; that He won't leave us; that He will protect us. And He frees us from fear by demonstrating His power at work within us by making us turn to the Father for help, crying out, "Abba, Father." And as we do so, we're able to. Trust in Him for our different situations, as we think of the glory, the future glory that is ours. But as we finish, let's go to the uh, the end of chapter eight because these, this chapter ends with um, some great verses. Chapter eight starts with the assurance we're forgiven, and it finishes with the assurance of our victory through Him who loved us. Look at verse thirty-seven. If you are someone here this morning who's never known that love, can I encourage you just to uh, speak with myself, with Mark, with um, Christian friends? Find out what it means to them. How you might be able to experience it for yourself. How you might be able to become a child of God and share in the victory of Christ.